Thank you, and uh, good morning, and good morning to you guys online. <laughs> they know why I'm doing that. <laughs> um, so, um, today we're continuing in our Sit at Jesus' Feet series, and if you've been following this series, you'll know that what we're trying to do week by week, layer by layer, is paint a portrait of Jesus um, and get to know different aspects of his character through looking at different scriptures. Well, Today's scripture is, is pretty epic. It, it's what's been described by Charles Spurgeon as the Bible in miniature uh, and the gospel in essence. If I was to give this talk a title, it would be this, The Suffering Servant. So let's read Isaiah 53 together. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray, shall we, before I start. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go through this chapter of Isaiah, that you will open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the glory of your son Jesus shown through his suffering. And and Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us here today to understand just how much it cost you to save us and just how 
intimately loved and known each and every one of us are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Isaiah has been called the Messianic prophet. And this is because of the sheer number of prophecies that he made about Jesus. And he prophesied this chapter 700 years before Jesus was even born. And it is so incredibly precise and accurate. It, it's quite mind-blowing when you, when you go through the New Testament and you see where this prophecy is fulfilled. It, it's incredible. So this particular chapter, it was written in poem format. It's got four stanzas, as they're called, or verses, or, or, or well, not verses, you'd say sections, chunks. Um, and I'm going to go through each chunk And I'm going to major on the first two more than the second two. So let's start with the first section, which is verses one to three. Um, And I'm going to start with verse one. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And the message puts it like this. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? So right from the start, Isaiah is prophesying that many would not believe what he's going to say because he's prophesying about a Messiah who is seemingly weak, who is certainly despised, who suffers atrocities at the hands of men, but who ultimately God's saving power would be revealed through. But if any of you saw or listened to um, Francis's talk on Palm Sunday, and he was talking about the coming king into Jerusalem, you will know that this is not what the people were looking for. It's not what they expected. The people wanted a military king who would come in, in power and might, um, and he would uh, rule, he would free them from this Roman rule, the oppressor. But, but this wasn't what was being prophesied. Jesus was not that sort of king. And his victory was not going to come through military force, but through sacrificial death. And right there in the first verse, Isaiah is foreseeing that we would reject Jesus, even though he came to save us. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, it says, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. And this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Verse two, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Well, as we know, a tender shoot is weak and vulnerable. It's when it's at its most vulnerable and it can easily break unless that weak shoot is before him. Because before him is before God. And as we know, and if you listen to Stuart Reed last week, he, he explained this very well. In, in Corinthians, Paul talks about God's power being made perfect in weakness. So... This root that might seemingly be really weak, we know that before him actually is very strong. In God's presence, things that can seemingly be weak can actually be really strong. And God's power and strength are often shown through our weakness, which is the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. But it's amazing. And like a root out of dry ground. So here, he's, he's talking about the physical ground around, around Galilee at that time. It, it was dry. It was arid, scorched, 
physically dry ground, but not only was it physically dry, it was spiritually dry. Because Palestine was under oppressive Roman rule, and so the amazing thing is that out of this spiritually dry and physically dry ground, God causes this little shoot of hope to break through. And I find this an immensely encouraging picture because if we're feeling like our lives are a bit dry and barren right now, surely then there's grounds for hope because that's the conditions on which Jesus' uh, shoot of hope can push through. And I just would like to encourage you this morning, if you're feeling that, that dryness, that barrenness in your life, Jesus' hope can break through this morning for you. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And, and, and I find this really interesting because it's so countercultural. So we know from scripture that from this, that Jesus was a fairly ordinary looking guy. It's not saying he was ugly, but he was deliberately normal looking. So, so that essentially, he, he didn't start from having the basic advantage of really good looks. So, so that we wouldn't follow him because we were physically attracted to him. But we would follow him because of who he was and what he said and did. Now, why? Why did God make it like that? Because he knows how the human heart works. He knows that we would see nothing, worldly hearts would see nothing in Jesus to physically attract us to him. And we know, don't we, from, from social media, you, you only need a quick look at Instagram, that not, not everybody, but, but quite a lot of people would, would say that to provoke interest and to attract as many followers as possible, you would want to present yourself as physically attractive as possible, possibly through the use of filters and Photoshop and things like that. And it's amazing how many people are followed. Thousands have thousands and thousands of followers because they're physically attractive. Because we as humans hold physical beauty in far higher regard than God does. In 1 Samuel 16, we, we learn that it says, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Or as the message puts it, one look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. Why do we hide our faces? When do we look away? When we're embarrassed? What we're seeing or something awful is unfolding before our eyes? Or maybe we're a bit ashamed or a bit disgusted at what we're looking at? You know, you, you, you watch and somebody's making a complete fool of themselves and so you kind of, oh gosh, bit of that, you know, covering your face. Well, one commentator said, those from whom men hide their faces have been shamed by society and are not recognised. And Jesus knew what it felt like to feel people's shame. And it got me thinking, have you ever felt shamed 
or disrespected? Have you ever felt like the subject of ridicule or discrimination? Have you ever felt that someone doesn't even want to look at you because of how you look or, or, or your status, apparently, in society, what you do? Well, if there's one thing I want you to take away from this morning, it's this. Jesus knows what rejection and shame feel like. And he not only knows, but he's taken your feelings of hurt and shame and pain and suffering and rejection on himself on the cross so that you can hold your head up high and you can know that the only one who really matters, the Lord God Almighty, esteems you. And he says, lift up your head. You are my son. You are my daughter. I suffered for you and I love you. Jesus empathizes with us in our suffering through his suffering. He knows and he cares. So the second section, verses four to six, sum up the whole purpose of Jesus' life in these three verses. I'll read them all. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, these verses are really, really familiar to any one of us who's been a Christian for a long time. But you know what? We must never get used to them. We must never let them lose their impact. Let's look again at verse four from the message this time. It says this, but the fact is, it was our pain he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. So people saw his suffering, but they thought his suffering was a punishment from God for his own wrongdoing. So they saw his suffering, but they didn't understand why. But then in the next two verses, Isaiah explains why. Again, from the message. But it was our sin that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sin. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. That's why. He did it for us because he loves us and because he wants to reconcile us back to him. You see, in the beginning, God made the world perfect. The Garden of Eden was wonderful. It was peaceful. There was joy and everything was harmonious and fantastic. But then sin entered. And when that happened, the reality of suffering and death also entered with it. And sadly, because of that, we will all experience some form of suffering in this life, and, and ultimately we will all experience death. But because of Jesus, that isn't the end of the story. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Jesus had to suffer 
so that we could be saved and we could know peace with God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So why did God put his only perfect sinless son through this unimaginable level of pain and suffering because it was the only way that we could be rescued and redeemed. The exchange of one perfect life for the whole of the imperfect human race. And he did it so that we could one day know a release from suffering and from pain and from discrimination and rejection and death. And instead know and live in the complete and utter joy of living in eternal life with our Saviour. That is great news. Thank you, Lord. But you know what? We don't even have to wait till eternity to experience that in part. Because Psalm uh, 27, verse 13 says this, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that's now. That's while I'm still alive. Yeah, are, 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 we living, are you living in the goodness of God right now? Because it's here for us right now. You know, we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but we can all, without exception, receive the gift of it and live in the peace of knowing it today. And you know what? That is good news. And, and, and I'm aware that if you're sitting here or if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus yet, don't worry. I'll explain how you can receive that later. It's okay. Don't panic. <laughs> Verse five, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, this is hard, this, this verse, really, and we mustn't skip over it because this refers to Jesus' flogging. And flogging was unimaginably awful. And many didn't survive the ordeal. In around 300 AD, Eusebius, who was a Greek historian of Christianity, he described flogging or, or scourging of Christians like this. At one time, they were torn by scourges down to deep-seated veins and arteries so that the hidden contents of the recesses of their bodies, their entrails and organs, were exposed to sight. It's hard, isn't it? And then on top of that, Jesus was also punched and spat at and kicked and beaten. And a crown of thorns was pressed onto his head. And, and then after all that, he endured the horror of, of the cross. As John Piper writes in his book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, it, it was a hideous death. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia tells us the wounds swelled about the rough nails and the torn and lacerated tendons and nerves caused excruciating agony. The arteries of the head and stomach were surcharged with blood and a terrific throbbing headache ensued. The victim of crucifixion literally died a thousand deaths. The agonies of God's Son were incomparable. No one ever suffered like this man. No one ever deserved suffering less but received so much. 
Jesus was the suffering servant. He suffered to serve us. Our healing and our restoration can be found through his suffering. And that might be physical healing, it might be emotional, it might be spiritual, it might be all three. But none of it would have been possible without his suffering first. Verse six, we all like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, note that it doesn't say some of us like sheep have gone astray. It says all. And we're all included in the all. Um, In Paul's letter to Romans, it says, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you know what? The amazing thing is, the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. He was beaten that we might have peace. Praise God. The third section covers verses seven to nine, but I'm just going to look at verse seven in the interests of time. Verse seven. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. So it it could have looked to all the world as if Jesus was weak, like a helpless sheep just going before his shearers. But you know what? This couldn't be further from the truth because even in his suffering and death, Jesus was in control. I can't even imagine the self-control it took for Jesus not to justify himself or plead his innocence. Because I know that I'm the first one to rush in if I think an injustice has been done. I can't bear it. I remember um, when my kids were little, anybody hurting them or wrongfully accusing them would feel the force of the tiger mum. I remember one time when Matt was about seven or eight and, and he came out of school and he was just sobbing. He was crying his eyes out. And I remember looking at him and, and basically a kid in, in a year above had punched him for no apparent reason. And, and I looked at him and there on the side of his face was this bright red punch mark. And I looked at him and I said, who did this? <laughs> I mean, literally, I wanted to be the Avenger there and then. It's incredible the feelings that rises up in you as a parent. I don't know how this is humanly possible. The self-control and strength it took for Jesus to remain silent was immense. Because our natural sense of justice wants Jesus to shout back at them and proclaim his innocence. But in order to fulfill the prophecy and to work in total obedience with the Father, Jesus remained silent. John Piper, in the same book, he goes on to say, Jesus had at his disposal infinite power to take revenge at any moment in his agony, but he did not do it. Jesus was silent. We know from the Gospels that when he was before the Sanhedrin, it said Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. When Herod questions him, it says, but Jesus answered him nothing. When he went before Pilate, but Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge. 1 Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at him, 
he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. The strength and glory of Jesus' servanthood was demonstrated through his silence. Incredible. So now on to the fourth and final section, which is verses 10 to 13. But again, I'm going to focus just on verse 10. It's probably one of the most important verses in this chapter, if you could have a most important verse. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Another translation says, actually says, that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That almost seems too awful to be true. So, you know, our human mind thinks, was was God deriving some sort of sadistic, twisted pleasure at seeing his son suffer? No, 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 that was not what was happening. God's apparent pleasure was actually because he knew what it was for. He could see the end from the beginning. He could see that we were going to be saved because of the suffering. It it says he will see his offspring. That's you and me. We're the offspring. We are the sons and daughters as a result. So through Jesus' suffering, the redemption of his people was being accomplished. It was the pleasure of knowing that his plan for the salvation of the world was coming to pass, that he and the Son were working together on the ultimate rescue plan. And that was pleasing to him. It's a similar sentiment to the um, little bit in Hebrews where it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross I don't think he was particularly joyful about the cross, but about what it would accomplish. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's incredible. Jesus performed the most sacrificial act of service that anyone has ever offered so that you and I can know peace with God now in the present life and ultimately in the life to come. Jesus was no victim of circumstance or military power. The cross was the planned, ordained work of God prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before it came to be. This was God's victory. It was the fruition of a master plan for our salvation, and that was pleasing to him. Isaiah finishes up in verse 12 with this, Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. Therefore, I will reward him extravagantly. Jesus is glorified in his suffering. Now, this is obviously great news for anybody here who's already accepted Jesus as their saviour. And and by that, I mean that they've um, actively repented, said sorry to God for the things that they've done wrong and invited Jesus to come in and, and be at the helm of their life. But 
What if you haven't already accepted Jesus, but you want this? What if you want to live in the peace and the freedom of what Jesus' suffering has won for you? Well, good news. <laughs> it, it does demand a response, and in a moment, you'll be given an opportunity to respond. So that's exciting. Look forward to it. <laughs> um, and if you do already know Jesus, but you are struggling with a particular area of suffering, maybe something I've mentioned, maybe, maybe shame, maybe rejection, maybe your life's feeling a bit dry and barren and, and you're feeling a little hopeless, I, I would really encourage you to bring that to Jesus this morning. We've got a prayer team who, who would love to pray with you after the meeting over at the prayer area if you want somebody to stand with you. And if, if you're online watching this, there, I think there's a request prayer button that you can press at the end. Um, and somebody would be in touch with you in the week, I'm sure. Um, bring it to Jesus. He suffered to take this from you. Whatever it is you're going through this morning, He's paid the price for it. Bring it to him. Let him take it from you. Come to him and accept his sacrifice and his suffering for your righteousness and your peace. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. It's there, it's for all of us. I'll finish with this quote from Nikki Gumbel, who's the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton. If you were, are at a really low point in your life, remember that suffering does not have to have the last word. In Jesus, the resurrection and the victory of God have the last word. Keep trusting in him. With Jesus, there is always hope. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>